Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave up himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may, might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his, his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Thank you, Charles. Okay, um, before we start, let me pray once more. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, for this letter that your servant Paul wrote whilst in prison, yet empowered by your Holy Spirit. Um, you, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see and know the awesome power that raised Christ from the dead and that which is now in us to live obedient lives according to your design. Empower us, Lord, to model Christ's lordship over every area of our lives for your glory's sake. Amen. Um, I'd like to start with a few questions, maybe. Um, Ephesians tells us that Jesus Christ is seated far above all rule and authority, uh, above every uh, authority, power and dominion. But does it feel like that today in our increasingly secular London? Paul prays for us to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Do you see this power in your day-to-day -day living, in your families, in your relationships, in your workplaces? Do you see Christ ruling above all things? And you may wonder, how does my day-to-day -day living display even the smallest hint of God's glorious wisdom and power? Well, I do hope that today's passage seeks to answer that. 
Now, we often have situations in the world where we need to model or illustrate something abstract when we cannot see it, such as molecules or DNA or complex ideas or even the, the spread of a microscopic virus. Um, and some of us at Covent Garden Talks are architects and you will know what I'm talking about. Um, but in my job as, a, as an IT solutions architect, I often use diagrams and I, when I need to demonstrate some abstract concepts. Um, and recently, uh, I wanted to propose to the company a, a modular concept for our data. Um, and so what did I do? Well, I used a tangible everyday object that almost all of us have experience of. In this case, it was Lego. And the modular interchangeable bricks gave the hearers a clear understanding of what I was talking about. And I believe in the same way, our radical day-to-day -day lives lived out out of love and submission for Christ, they demonstrate the life-giving power and model the work of God in the gospel. I believe we'll see how the physical earthly models here represent the spiritual realities in heaven. And before we go on, um, I thought it's worth mentioning a disclaimer. I know that some of the following topics can be controversial. Um, some may see them as, uh, as archaic or countercultural concepts. I personally found this uh, challenging. But if that's you also, I do hope and pray that you will listen and work out for yourself whether firstly, what is being said is, is true. And secondly, whether God's design in these areas is a good and well-fitting design. And before we dive into the passage, um, let's briefly look at the structure. Now, all the uh, imperatives are grounded in chapter 5, verse 21. There'll be a diagram in your handouts. Um, and the verse says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, i.e. it's reverence for Christ or fear of the Lord that is the driving force and the foundation. Um, and each uh, section of this, of this passage, each illustration starts off with the lesser responsibility first, moving to the higher responsibility. So in, the, in each individual section, we see effectively it modeling the headship of Christ over the church. And we've seen in our previous sections uh, how to live as individuals last week, for example. Um, but in our passage today, we'll look at three areas of relationships and how they are grounded in the Lordship of Christ. Mm -hmm. So let's let's focus on the first section. That's uh, chapter five, verses 22 to 32. And that's the marriage. Um, and I understand that some of us are not married. Uh, and I do hope that you see the beauty of God's design in marriage. And you use it to encourage your friends who are married or if you yourself hope to be married one day. But whether we are married or not, we as the church all have a high calling. And that is to submit, submit to our head. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so look with me at verse 22 of chapter five. Paul starts by speaking to wives. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. So here we have a command directly directed to wives only, not to everyone in the church. It's particularly an imperative for the wife before the Lord. And so it doesn't give the husband a license to enforce submission. You see, the wife is responsible to God in how she lives. And verse 23, if you look down, explains it. It's because the husband is the head of the wife. Jesus 
is Christ is the head of the church, which is us. And so likewise, the wife submitting to her husband models the church submitting to Christ. See, this is a, a restoration of Genesis 2. Imagine Adam and Eve before the fall. This is marriage redeemed. But in this context, we have Christ and the church right at the center of this command. And there is a unity here. Yes, there is a head and a body, but it's one body. And the model to copy is how the church submits to her head, which is Christ. And conversely, do you see the mess that the church gets into when she does not submit to Christ, but rather seeks to rule over him? False teaching creeps in and the word of God is ignored. And it eventually rots the church from within. And also, unfortunately, the, the word submission has a bad connotation today. It suggests a weaker or a lesser thing. However, Paul is asking for us to submit out of love for the Lord Jesus. As we go back and remember in verse 21 of this chapter, he asks the church to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, it's, it's our love and respect for Christ that drives us to submit to one another, not brute force or strength or dictatorship. And so likewise, the wife submits freely out of her own desire, not just when the husband is lovable, but because her Lord and her Saviour is. And so each time a wife willfully submits to her husband, she is modelling how we, the people of God, the church, should submit to our head, Christ, displaying the wonder and the mystery of the gospel. And so wives, it's worth, it's worth thinking about these questions. When do you submit to your husbands? When he is worthy of it? Or when it's something that you want them to do? Or is it because you love the Lord Jesus? And if you are not a wife, maybe you would like to be one day, how do you feel about this? Do you see the beauty of how fitting it is for us, the church, to submit to Christ? Paul then moves on, so verse 25 onwards, he moves on and says, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that she, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And once again, we have a, an imperative here, but this is directed towards the husbands this time. It's not exactly the same as for the wife, but complementary. Husbands are called to love their wives. But just like the wife, they are to do it by copying the image of Christ and the church. And so how did Christ love the church, you may ask? Well, he gave himself up for her. And this is literally the words, he handed himself over for the sake of her. And this is the truth of the gospel. You see, Christ gave himself up. He died a substitutional death on the cross for the sin of his people, bearing the necessary penalty for that sin so that we, the church, can receive forgiveness. And just let that sink in for a moment. So Jesus has the privilege of being the perfect son of God, yet he put that aside to endure death on the cross for us. This demonstrated his love for us, his people, so that we might be united to him by faith and share in his inheritance. And this is the imagery that Paul is trying to portray here. But, of course, we were not marriage-worthy. The Bible refers to us as being unfaithful and whoring ourselves after false gods. And so we were infinitely far from being marriage-worthy. 
And earlier on in, in this letter, we see that we were in fact dead in our moral failures. But God's rich mercy made us alive in Christ. It's our union with Christ that saves us and provides us with the riches of his glorious inheritance. See, Christ loved the church that he might make her holy, purifying and washing her uh, by water of the word uh, to present to himself in splendor. And this is our end goal. We, the church, are to be presented to Christ on the final day as spotless and without blemish. What a glorious thought. All of our sins washed away. And we move on in verse 28 to 30. We see another parallel here. We see in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ as the church, because we are members of his body. Now this sounds like an odd thing to say. Now, it presumes that we care for our bodies, and I like to think that most of us do. And if we're hungry, we eat. If we're thirsty, we drink. If we're tired, we sleep, hopefully. We look after our bodies. And, but we can see that when, when we do not look after our bodies, for whatever reason, something is not right. And so in the same way, husbands are to love their wives, as they are now one. And if they don't, something is not right. And if a husband needs an example to follow, all he needs to do is go back to the core of the gospel and meditate on how Christ loves him. On a personal note, you would think that after almost 10 years, I would know how to love my wife. But I often fail. I often fail loving her like myself, like my own body. And if I remain angry, for example, after a disagreement, I only have to stop and think about how the Lord Jesus has forgiven me. And so I have no option but to graciously seek reconciliation and love her sacrificially. And so a word to you husbands, when do you sacrificially love your wives? When she is lovable or does what you want her to do? Or because the Lord Jesus, your Lord. And on the topic of nourishing and cherishing, I believe Paul is referring to the speaking the truth in love as we saw earlier in, in chapter four. He's talking about word gifts that were used to build up the body, the church. And so this is a challenge to husbands and myself included here. Do I use the truth of the word of God to ensure that my wife is being built up? Am I guarding our marriage with the word of God? Unlike Adam, who simply stood by Eve as she was being tempted by the serpent, he shirked his responsibility. And finally, in this section, we look at verses 31 to 33. Let me read. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As Christ holds fast to his bride, the church, this is demonstrated in the husband leaving father and mother and holding fast to his wife in marital union, and thus creating a new family unit with a new head. And so it means leaving the headship of our parents behind. And this could be both physically and emotionally. But yet we are still to honour them, as we see later. And so just like um, the Lego model, we have seen that our marriages are physical and tangible models of the gospel, how Christ loves the church. You see, the real is up there, but the model is in fact down here, shown in, in Christian marriage. 
It demonstrates the spiritual reality of the mystery and miracle that has happened to each one of our lives. So those of us who are married, our renewed hearts in submission to the Lord Jesus lives out lives that mirror the wonder and mystery of the gospel. And if you are having trouble in your marriage, look to Christ and the gospel. See the sacrificial beauty of Christ's love for you. Husbands respond by um, asking God to show you the grace to love your wives in the same manner. And wives respond by asking God for the grace um, to know the love of Christ and submit to him and in turn submit to your husbands. We move on now to the next section, chapter six, verses one to four. After addressing the, the, the marriage, Paul now moves on to the wider family. So starting at verse one of chapter six, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment for the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And just as in marriage, the topping and tailing of this section of this passage, verses one and verse four, is within the context of in the Lord. See, children are told to obey their parents in the Lord. And Paul uses a quote from Exodus 20. He's referring to the fifth commandment, that children are to receive instruction from their parents to be obedient to the Lord. And if they are obedient, they will live long in the promised land. But us as new covenant people, the land refers to our inheritance. So if we grow up in the instruction of the Lord, we are to receive the inheritance promised to us in Christ. And Paul prays that we may have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to comprehend this truth earlier on in the letter. And what amazing grace it is for those of us who have had parents that model the gospel in our upbringing, as well as those like me who haven't. Personally, I've had the privilege of some of the folks on the call today who have modeled a Christian life for me growing up. I'm very thankful for that. All glory goes to God in this. In Christ, we share the glorious inheritance and the infinitely higher privilege of being able to call God our Heavenly Father. And so to those of us who are parents, how do you look after your children? Yes, it's great and it's wonderful to offer them the best education or the comforts that you may not have received. But do you see the importance of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And note that Paul specifically calls out fathers here. And if you remember from our previous section, the husband is the head of the family unit. And sadly today, there's another sort of pandemic of weak and passive fathers, which reminds us once again of Adam's sin, as we saw earlier. And you can see the damage in society as a result when fathers are absent, be that physically or emotionally or spiritually. So take wisdom from this passage, fathers. See the awesome responsibility that you have to model the gospel in word and deed to your children without embittering them. And in doing so, you see you are modeling the headship of Christ over his people so that your children may share in the glorious inheritance that you do by grace through Christ. And now we move on to our, our third and final illustration here. This is verses five to nine, chapter six. But before we look at this, there is some controversy around the topic of slaves and masters. The word slave and bondservant are the same here. But it's worth mentioning that this is not indicative of the transatlantic slave trade that we may be familiar with. And so a couple of points to just to think about to not distract us. 
And firstly, uh, bond servants uh, or slaves in the first century had a very different meaning to what we understand them to mean today. So many slaves held surprisingly high ranking jobs in the legal or medical professions. And even bankers in that culture were under a master. But even if they were similar expressions of slavery, you see, Paul isn't commenting on the approval or disapproval of it. He's simply instructing Christians on how to behave in that given historical context. And so based on that context, I believe we can safely acknowledge that these verses, these following verses, are, are applied to today's context of work. So let me read from verse five. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleases, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or free. The masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So we are told to obey our earthly masters with respect and sincerity as we would Christ. And that too, not just when they are watching over us. And what a challenge. How has our motivation changed from working from home in, during lockdown versus being in the office when our boss is watching? And how tempted are we to all work hard only when our bosses are watching us? See, naturally, some of us tend to be people pleasers, and I know that I definitely am. It's in our culture to work hard for the praise of man. But we are to work wholeheartedly as if we were directly serving the Lord, not man. And remember that the next time you have to analyze data, go through another spreadsheet, write another report or assignment, send another email, make another phone call or a Zoom call, attend another meeting, clear the office, wash your coffee mugs, etc. But why should we work like this? What compels us? We love to be praised by our seniors at work, but if we work hard as if for the Lord who sees all, then naturally we'll, we, we would be the best employees. And whether we are recognized on earth or not, but we will be recognized in heaven. And how much greater would it be to receive a, a well done from, the, from God himself? And so likewise, masters are to not threaten their employees. Well, why? Because um, quite simply, God is a master of billions, sees no partiality. So why would it be right for a master of a, of a relatively few have any partiality? So you can be a CEO or a street cleaner, but God is still your master. And when employees and employers exhibit this kind of working, they are reenacting the model of above. They are displaying Christ's headship over the church and the church's willingness to respond in obedience. And I understand that in our, in our current climate, there may be some of us who are out of work. And so this passage may not be entirely relevant to you right now. But I do hope that you are encouraged by this model and submit to Christ, living it out if and when, Lord willing, your situation does change. And to finish, some encouragement and a summary. Husbands, when you sacrificially love your wives, even when it's not, they are not always lovable, or when it grates against your own selfish heart, you see, you are showing the power of Christ in modeling the gospel. And wives, when you submit to your husbands, even when it's not easy to do so, and it goes against your own selfish heart. 
then you too are showing the power of the gospel in modeling the headship of Christ over the church. Parents, when you sacrificially prioritize the speaking of the truth of God to your children, then you too are modeling the power of gospel in your families. And employees, when you work hard, even when your boss isn't looking, even when you are not recognized on earth for your hard work, and employers, when you treat your employees with dignity, without partiality, you too are all demonstrating living out the power of the gospel. And so who's the audience, you may ask? Well, those outside the church, perhaps, looking in and seeing something different, something attractive even. But more so, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are watching. So your radical living points to the manifold wisdom of God. But what if we fail, you may ask? We have probably already failed today. Then we remember the gospel. You see, it's by grace that you have been saved, not through works. This is a gift from God. So if we live radical Christian lives, God is glorified. If we fail, we remember the grace of God that saves us through the death of his son. So God is glorified. Do you see how mysterious and yet glorious this is? So live out gospel-saturated lives in the seemingly mundane, except it is a mundane. It's actually radical Christian living, which can only be done through the power of the regenerated heart, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. And therefore, living this life is not possible for all. For those without this power, you cannot live such lives uh, having, without having a regenerated heart. You see, God has to bring you to life in Christ for you to live differently. And so society's efforts of, uh, of building a token society uh, is not possible through policy change or better education or technology or self-help. You see, a spiritually dead heart is dead unless it is brought back to life again. And so to finish, the power and the Lordship of Christ is seen in our everyday. Now, Paul has spent time explaining the realities in the heavenly places, but now we must live these out in our day-to-day -day lives. And this is why Paul prays to have the, the, the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we may see the, the realities above and live them out on earth. You see, we, we model the gospel with our lives showing its power. And this radical Christian living motivated by the love of Christ is beautiful. Who wouldn't want to live in a world like this? It's just a little, small foretaste of heaven. Let me pray in closing. Father, we thank you for the gift of grace, for making us alive in Jesus and giving us the power of your Holy Spirit to live lives that glorify you. We pray that we may live lives of obedience, following your design, so that your power is modelled on earth and displayed in the heavenly places, to the glory of your name. Amen.